Yeah, we're starting this new series for Pentecost, My Soul Sings. I want to start with a story about an old farmer who um, went to the city one weekend and attended the big city church that his nephew attended. He came home back to his wife and she asked him, how was it? And, and the farmer said, well, it was good. They, they did something different, though. They sang praise choruses instead of singing hymns. And, and, and she was like, praise choruses? Well, what are those? And he's like, oh, they're okay. They're sort of like hymns, only a bit different. And, and, and she was like, well, what's the difference? And the farmer said, well, it's like this. If I were to say to you, Martha, the cows are in the corn, well, that would be a hymn. If, on the other hand, I were say, to say to you, Martha, 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 oh, Martha, 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 the cows, the big cows, the brown cows, the black cows, the white cows, the black and white cows, the cows, 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 are in the corn, are in the corn, are in the corn. The corn, corn, corn. Well, uh, if you say that a few times and repeat it over and over again, then that, that's a praise chorus. Well, I'm not too uh, sure about that exactly, uh, but uh, we are going to be spending the next few weeks about uh, talking about singing and praising God. And if you remember from a few weeks, what's Pentecost Sunday? We've been looking at the story of Pentecost for the last two Sundays. And uh, if you uh, remember, I hope you remember that the outpouring of the Spirit we learned, the outpouring of the Spirit leads to an outpouring of praise. Uh, Can you remember that um, there was this sound of a mighty rushing wind and there were these tongues of fire and and there was this outpouring of the Spirit, but then that led to an outpouring of praise. Remember, the crowd was listening in and we hear them declaring the mighty acts of God uh, in our own tongues. So, so the outpouring of the Spirit leads to an outpouring of praise. Uh, we heard the, the new memory verse. We're just loving these memory verses for the kids. Um, and and, and we're, we're learning these as a family. But, but the new memory verse is, the, is what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Can, can you see the flow that, that the outpouring of the Spirit leads to an outpouring of of praise, but we must all be leaky buckets because um, the, the, the book of Acts has keeps on coming up with this language that, that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. I actually count nine times in in the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts where people were filled with the Holy Spirit, and and each time it leads to an outpouring of praise. So you just think of um, Elizabeth. Who, who had this outpouring of praise when she was filled, or, or Mary, this outpouring of praise whenever people are filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and so we must be leaky buckets because uh, the Apostle Paul actually, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter um, Ephesians 5, verse 18. But, but the verb in the Greek is present tense, as if he's saying, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And in fact, that the reading from this morning, Ephesians 5 verse 18, it's not the first time that he's prayed for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Actually, he prays again and again and again for the Ephesians. So, so if you look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17, he says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the Spirit. Ephesians 3, 16, a few chapters later, he's just he's praying for them again. I pray that out of his glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power 
through his spirit. He, he just keeps on praying that they be filled with the spirit. And then, and then Ephesians 5 verse 18 from our reading today, be filled with the spirit as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Now that spiritual is, is really a capital S spiritual. He, he's not talking about a genre of music that popped up you know, 17 centuries later in North America. No, he's talking about songs from the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And so we're going to go through these few short verses that teach us about praise and worship, about singing. And I want you to see four things from from this little passage that hopefully will shape us and form us by his Spirit in in our praise, in our worship, in our singing together. And And the first thing I want you to notice in in Ephesians 5 verse 18 is that singing is to be an overflow of the Spirit. That's what we've been saying. An outpouring of the Spirit leads to an outpouring of praise. My my cousin is, or at least she used to be, I think she is, I haven't checked in with her. She's a historian at Deakin University. Have you you heard of Deakin University in in Melbourne? She's she's an historian and, um, and her PhD was on Charles Wesley. Uh, who lived during the Great Awakening, a Great Awakening when God's Spirit was poured out in power in in England and in the United States. Um, Guess how many hymns, guess how many songs Charles Wesley wrote during his lifetime? Any any guesses? 300, going once, going twice. No, much more than that. It's estimated that Charles Wesley... Uh, wrote between six and a half thousand and nine thousand hymns during his lifetime. Do, do, do you see, brothers and sisters, that that an outpouring of the Spirit leads to an outpouring of praise for all of God's mighty deeds? Just like at Pentecost, when the Spirit was poured out and they declared His praise in different languages. We're going to be singing one of my favorites on Thursday night at my commissioning. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, who for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? We sang it at our wedding, and I'm told that my commissioning is going to feel a bit like a wedding. Uh, That's what the area dean told me. And so we're going to sing it again. That's not the reason why. But singing is to be an overflow of the Spirit. Now, please note, friends, in Ephesians 5 verse 18, God wants supernatural singing. Be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So uh, Marshall Siegel writes, Singing that truly honours God isn't just about singing. After all, Jesus said, quoting Isaiah, This people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So one category of singers are those who sing God's name while their hearts chase after everyone and everything else. Doesn't that send shivers down your spine? Well, what what a warning for us. Father, I pray that in your mercy we would not be counted among those whose Honour you with their lips and yet whose hearts go chasing during the week after idols. But Lord, that our hearts would be in alignment with our lips as we sing your praise. Have mercy on us, Father. Paul says in verse 18, do not get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. So 
if you think about it, to get drunk on wine is to invite wine into your life and to allow wine to control your behavior. Well, so it is with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to invite the Spirit into your life and to allow him to control your behavior. And yet, the, 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 the kind of joy that you see in a drunk is, is, is a joy that comes from kind of suppressing reality and, and getting out of touch with reality, whereas the joy that you see in a spirit-filled Christian is actually coming into closer touch with the reality of what God has done in Christ. But Kieran, tell me practically, how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, maybe an analogy is due. What are the three core ingredients to starting a fire? I think the three core ingredients are wood, oxygen, and a spark. And so I think that's a helpful analogy that we need wood. The wood represents the word of God, the Bible. We see this throughout the scriptures. That's why in Acts 2 verse 11, when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, they all spoke the word of God boldly in different tongues. Uh, that's why in Acts chapter 4 verse 8, when, when the Apostle Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, he preaches a sermon about the Lord Jesus. That, that's what he's filled with. He's filled with the word of Christ. Uh, in Ephesians 6 uh, later, just the next chapter, what does Paul say? He says, take up the armor of God, the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And, and Jesus in Luke chapter 4, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me to do what? To preach good news. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with the Scriptures. I think we see this in, in, in Jesus in the desert. You know, it says the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness and the, and the devil attacks him. And what, that Jesus, the ultimate Spirit-filled man, what does he do the whole time while he's in the wilderness? He's quoting Scripture. He's using the sword of the Spirit. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of of God, and then at the end of the season, he says he was he came back in the power of the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with the Scriptures. First of all, to create a fire, you need wood, but you also need oxygen. That, that's why I've been saying that that prayer is the body of Christ breathing. Um, we often use the language we, we say. Um, we need to allow the Holy Spirit. If we would just allow the Holy Spirit and. And I've got to say, as I read the scriptures, I don't hear Jesus telling us to allow as if he needs permission. But I do hear Jesus telling us to ask. Honestly, my, my, my searching of the scriptures, we're not encouraged to allow, but we are over and over and over again. We're encouraged to ask. So in Luke 11, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. What father among you if his son asks for a fish? We'll give him a snake instead of a fish. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who allow? No, to those who ask. I, I think this one simple insight is, is a big change. Because allow is like, okay, God, you're allowed. Thanks. And you get on with it. No, we don't allow we ask, Jesus says, ask over and over again. Same in the Gospel of John. I, I, I understand the sentiment behind allowing, but it, it's far too passive compared to what Jesus says. 
ask. This is why Jack Miller, um, Paul Miller's dad, and so we've been you know, learning Paul Miller, a praying church, a praying life. Jack Miller says this. He says, In my need, I came to appreciate the commitment of the risen Christ to impart the Holy Spirit as the power source for the church in answer to prayer. In practice, what this meant for me was that I began to pray for the Spirit's presence to be with me in almost everything I did. Ask and it will be given to you. This insight alone will change things. You know the bellows? Have you ever used a bellows at the, um, the fire? You know, you need the wood, right? And then with a bellows, do you, do you just go once and then just put it aside? You don't, do you? That, that's not how you start a fire. You've got to keep pumping and, and, and you've got to keep praying. You've got to keep asking for the Spirit. And so a fire needs wood, a fire needs oxygen, but God is the one who brings the spark of his presence and of his power. So the Apostle Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. And I've just talked about how we can be filled with the Spirit through the Scriptures and through our prayers. And then he says, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So point number one, verse 18, singing is to be an overflow of the Holy Spirit. And so if your heart is cold, if you don't feel these affections towards the Lord, there's a simple solution. Feed on the Scriptures And ask, ask. Point one, point two, singing is to be from the heart. Look at verse 19. Paul says, we are to sing and make melody to the Lord. Where? In your hearts. In other words, it's not enough to sing with your lips. He wants us singing and making melody in our hearts. Um, They say that the longest journey a Christian can take is from the head down to the heart. And actually, this was true for... uh, John Wesley, who who had been an Anglican minister for eight years before the penny dropped and the journey from head to heart actually took place. What happened was that he was on a ship from England to uh, America on January 25, 1736, and, and that was a Sunday, and there were these German Christians called Moravians who were up having a worship service on the deck during this time. He'd been a minister for eight years, And he writes in his journal about what happened. He says, In the midst of their singing, the sea broke over, split the mainsail in pieces, covered the ship, and poured in between the decks as if the great deep had already swallowed us up. A terrible screaming began among the English. The Germans calmly sang on. I asked one of them afterwards, Were you not afraid? He answered, I thank God, no. I asked, but we're not your women and children afraid? He replied mildly, no, our women and children are not afraid to die. It was this moment for Wesley where he saw these Moravian Christians who were on fire for God, singing and praising God while in the midst of a storm that changed the whole trajectory of his life. He's like, I've got to find out what these guys have got. He went and spent three months with them. And two years later, the penny finally dropped. And and, and he wrote these now famous words. And I want you to pick up on the language of, 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 of how... This experience has gone from just something he knew in his head to to something in his heart. He wrote, I felt my heart strangely warmed. The moment I woke, Jesus, my master, which was a hymn, was in my heart and in my mouth. I could taste the good word of God in the anthem which began, my song shall be always of the loving kindness of the Lord. 
That was an Anglican minister who you thought you would, would know about what it means to sing from the heart, but it took these Moravians for him to discover what that was. C.S. Lewis once said, praise is inner health made audible. Praise is inner health made audible. I love what William Tyndale, the Bible translator, once said about the gospel. He says, the gospel is a Greek word signifying good, merry, glad and joyful tidings that makes the man's heart glad and makes him sing, dance and leap for joy. Francis Schaeffer puts it like this. He says, if the church is what it should be, young people will be there. But they won't just be there. They'll be there with the blowing of horns and the clashing of high-sounding cymbals and they will come dancing with flowers in their hair. Anyone? See? No? Not, not yet. This Jesus Revolution movie, that uh, it's just a portrayal of art, but it's about an awakening of the spirit in the, in the late 60s and 70s in California, the Jesus movement, the birth of the Calvary Chapel movement. It's, you see it there, the, the wonderful glad tidings of the Lord through the outpouring of the spirit. Singing is to be from the heart. You, you actually see this in the scriptures, like, like Miriam singing the song of Moses. Remember the parting of the Red Sea? They were going to die, that Pharaoh and his army was going to, was going to get them and God parted the Red Sea and they passed through and then God closes up the water and buries Pharaoh and his armies. And there's this outpouring of praise. Miriam sings Moses' song and there's tambourines and there's singing and there's dancing at the victory of God over the enemy. And and you see it as well in in the story of David and Goliath. This Philistine army is just going to destroy them and not even their king Saul is able to stand up. And then David takes him out. And you know what the, the story, how the story ends? The women are dancing, coming back in the streets saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. They're, they're singing and clapping and dancing. And so how much more so shall we celebrate, not at the AFL or the, or the soccer or the netball, but at Jesus' victory over Satan's sin and death, bringing us eternal life and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That, that's why we sing. Singing is to be from the heart. In a book called Real Worship, Warren Wearsby writes, I'm convinced that congregations learn more theology, good and bad, from the songs they sing than from the sermons they hear. Except for mine, of course. (laughs) Many sermons are doctrinally sound and contain a fair amount of biblical information, but they lack the necessary emotional content that gets hold of the listener's heart. Music, however, reaches the mind and the heart at the same time. It has power to touch and move the emotions and for that reason can become a wonderful tool in the hands of the spirit or a terrible weapon in the hands of the serpent. Singing is to be an overflow of the spirit. Singing is to be from the heart. There's two more points, and these next two points, they can be taken together because Paul says singing is to be to each other. In other words, there's a horizontal dimension to our singing, but he also says singing is to be to the Lord. There's, there's a vertical dimension to our singing. Now, speaking in kind of broad generalizations, if you have been or grown up in a conservative church, the, the emphasis is more likely to have been on the horizontal singing singing to each other about God, whereas if you've been at a, 
a charismatic or Pentecostal church, the experience is more likely that you've been singing to the Lord direct, directly in, in an experiential way. And, and, and the Apostle Paul is like, guys, can't you like walk and chew gum? I want both singing to each other and singing to the Lord. In verse 18, Paul says, sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs to one another. There's a, there's a way in which we encourage each other as we sing to the Lord. In Colossians 3.16, it's as you teach and admonish one another singing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. So there's a teaching ministry, an encouragement to one another as we sing. So Marshall Siegel's written an article called, Do You Hear the People Sing? And he writes, The defining sound on Sundays should be the singing voices of God's people. Can I just say that that's easier said than done? Our musicians and our sound people are doing the best they can, but sometimes all you can hear is the guitar or all you can hear is the piano or all you can hear are the vocalists up the front. That's not because we want to be the centre of attention, but it's really hard work to get the sound right. Anyone who's tried this knows. So, so can we be praying for our musicians? Can we be praying for our sound operators? Uh, let's keep that... In our prayers. You know, the Bible says make a joyful noise, and sometimes that's the best we can do. In fact, sometimes it's just make noise. Uh, But the Bible also says to play skillfully. And so there's plenty of room for us to grow, to develop our skill. Not not so that we can draw attention to ourselves, but so we can point to the Lord and get out of the way. Did you know that Martin Luther... He thought that the singing was so important on the Sundays that he actually instituted midweek practice of the singing for church on Sunday. So starting this Wednesday night, uh, I expect you to all be here at 7 o'clock and we're going to practice the singing. But the role of the musicians, the role of the people on sound is to be like John the Baptist. He must increase And I must decrease. In other words, the band's job is to get the voices cranking and then do what they need to keep them cranking and then just step aside. Just like John the Baptist. To show us the way and then get out of the way. This is what you call undistracting excellence. But I'll be the first to admit, it's easier said than done. We, We really need your prayers. Paul's saying... That singing is to be to each other. There's a horizontal dimension. But he says singing is to be to the Lord as well. Verse 19. Have a look. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Again, speaking in broad generalizations, conservative churches can have a stronger emphasis on on the transcendence of God. You know, his glory, his majesty, his power. Songs like crown him with many crowns. See, we're not singing directly to the Lord there. We're we're talking to the saints. Crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon the throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns, all music but its own. The, The transcendence of God, the glory and power. Whereas charismatic churches, again, these are broad generalizations, they tend to emphasize more the intimacy, the imminence of God, that he's close by. So songs of intimacy and love and relationship and joy. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. There's an intimacy and an and a, and a imminence of God. 
Every week at church we say we are the body of Christ. His spirit is with us. But sometimes I wonder if we're much better at singing to each other than we are at singing to the Lord, even though he's right here in our midst. Paul says we walk by faith and not by sight. And, and it takes faith for us to believe that we sing to the Lord, that he's here with us, that he hears us, that he receives us through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so sometimes I wonder if we're better at singing by sight than we are at singing by faith, singing to the Lord. Paul says both, sing to each other and sing to the Lord. And so ultimately, it's good for us to sing both ways and to keep both of them in mind. So even as we're singing about God to each other, let's remember that we're in the presence of God. And when we're singing to the Lord, let's remember that we're with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I was going to warn you at the start that I'm going to go for a while this morning. So if we can just get the welcomers to lock the back doors uh, because there's so much that I, I want to say. And I, I want to speak for a moment to postures of praise uh, and, and our postures of praise. And I'm ripping off a guy called Sam Storms, who I found really helpful. So, so you might ask me, Kieran, why, why do you lift your hands sometimes when you sing? What, why do you lift your hands? And I would say that the answer is twofold. The, the first answer is because there's a clear biblical precedent to do so. I'm, I'm not saying that this is a, a command of Scripture, but there's a very clear biblical Precedent. So let me give you some examples. Psalm 63, verse 4. He, he says, So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. This is, this is just a tiny sample of what we see in this. Psalm 28, verse 1. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Psalm 88, verse 9. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Psalm 134, verse 2, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Psalm 143, verse 6, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Lamentations 3, verse 41, let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. That's a tiny sample of what we have in the Old Testament, but it's in the New Testament too. 1 Timothy 2 verse 8, Paul says, I desire then that in every place the people should pray, lifting holy hands without quarreling or anger. So I love what Nikki Gumbel has to say on this point. He says, it was taken for granted that Christians, like Jews, would lift their hands in prayer. This was the traditional form of prayer. I often jest that if you go to a church and see everyone's hands in the air, I say, this is a traditional church practicing ancient forms of worship. If they all have their hands down by their sides, that's fine too. I just say, this is a modern, trendy church experimenting with new forms of worship. The first reason I raise my hands when I sing is because there's biblical precedent to do so. Peter Adam, I was saying, one of my mentors last week, he says, Have you, is there anything that you've changed recently because, you've, because of something that you've read in the Bible? Do you remember I said that if you were here last week? Well, well, something that he's changed over the last two years because of his reading of the scriptures is lifting up his hands in, in worship. For the last two years, he's lifting up his hands. He says, this is like... I pastored this church, it was one of the key evangelical churches in Melbourne, for 20 years, 
And, and just in the last year, I've started lifting up my hands in worship and they're all looking at me going, like, well, what's gotten into him? And he's like, well, the Bible has gotten into me. It's been through the reading of scriptures. I've started raising my hands in worship. There's biblical precedent to do so. But the second reason I raise my hands when I sing is because I'm not a Gnostic. Gnosticism is a belief that disparages the body. It says spiritual good and physical bad. Gnostics focus almost exclusively on the spiritual and the immaterial. They think that the body is evil, the body is corrupt. It's the mind that matters. The body is a temporary prison for the soul that longs to be set free into the spiritual. But that's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity says that matter matters. God made the world, God made our bodies, and the Lord Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, actually took on a physical body, and he was raised with a physical body, which means that matter matters. We are not disembodied creatures that are one day going to float on clouds with harps, right? No. We even have this idea of body language, don't we? The idea that our attitudes and emotions can be communicated to others through what we do with our bodies. So, apologies to Ruth, but sometimes she'll crack a joke, and I'll say... That was hilarious. I'm laughing on the inside. Now, do you think she's going to believe what my words are saying or what my body is saying when you say, I'm laughing on the inside? It's, my, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an insult. I, I, lo- I love my wife. Please don't get me, get me wrong about this. So that's why we say actions speak louder than words, right? If you say to someone, I was laughing on the inside... No, you weren't. Your body would show it. Actions speak louder than words. And so our hands speak loudly. Think about it. When you're angry, you might clench your fists. When you're worried, you might wring your hands together. When you're desperate or frustrated, you might throw them in the air, perhaps also in resignation or dismay. When confused, we raise them in bewilderment, especially if, maybe if you're Italian, asking for advice or you're a soccer player and the ref's on to you. When you're um, hospitable, you might put them up and, and give them as an embrace to give someone a warm embrace or a hug. We speak with our bodies. And so again, why do I sometimes raise my hands in worship? Well, there are lots of reasons. Sometimes it's to celebrate God's victory over Satan's sin and death. Not, not unlike you'll do it at the AFL or, or the soccer match, except that it's an infinitely more wonderful victory that Christ has won for us over Satan's sin and death. Other times it might be to show complete surrender, not unlike someone even raises their hands. The, the, the police, is, well, I'm not hiding anything. I'm not, I'm not going to pull any tricks on you. It's a complete surrender. Other times it's to show complete dependence and, and saying, my hands are empty. I, I need you, Lord. I need you to fill my hands. I'm holding nothing back. It's a way of embodying and expressing what's going on inside before the Lord and before his people in other words it's not just a private faith that I hide in here it's a public faith that I express to God and to others now please don't misunderstand these are not words of condemnation these are words of confession I I don't know the motives for people's actions or behind that so this is not about a right way or a wrong way of worshiping God the Bible says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say now there's no condemnation for those who raise their hands in worship. And, and frankly, that makes me want to raise my hands because I'm like, God, I've just accepted. There's no condemnation. 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. Later he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And so basically what I'm saying is no matter what, I want God to get my all. My mind, my will, my feet, my heart, my tongue, my body, my affections, and yes, even my hands. I want to give it all to him. And so as we wrap up, here's God's word to you this morning. Don't get drunk with wine. That leads to debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Amen? Amen.